Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about microaggressions as one outgrowth of implicit bias. Hello. Today we are talking about microaggressions, and it is kind of an offshoot or an outgrowth implicit bias. So we've got so much to talk about, Sarah. I'm really excited to just get uncomfortable in these topics. So let's start with what is a microaggression? So Columbia University's Gerald Wing Su defines this term as prejudices that leak out in many interpersonal situations and decision points. They are experienced as slights, insults, indignities, and denigrating messages. So in his basically groundbreaking 2007 article for American psychologists, Sue and six other researchers identified three separate categories of racial microaggressions. So we're going to go through them. The first is a microassault, which is a verbal or nonverbal attack meant to hurt the intended victim through name calling, avoidant behavior, or purposeful discriminatory actions. So one example of this is students wearing Confederate flag clothing, which I had not really seen until I started going to Louisiana a lot more. It's a thing. Which always surprises me because how aware are students of what they're wearing and their choices? Or do they just do it because it's the cool thing or like, right? Yeah, but I mean, it speaks volumes if that is the cool thing, right? Like, because there is a history behind it and... I think if the cool thing is the Confederate flag, like there's so much out there about that, that I have a hard time believing that it's not on some conscious level. So is that a micro assault because it's not explicit, but it's sort of a passive in your face kind of thing? And I wonder in the context of are there any, you know, history buffs who would fly in their own home a Confederate flag just because they have that and then the Union flag? And, you know, is it that in your face, it's out there? Or is it still like, is it about the intention? Or is it about the act of being ignorant? Or is it both? I think if you're a history buff, and you have like a display case that commemorates the Civil War, then that's one thing, maybe. But if you're wearing like you've got your Confederate flag t shirt on, and you're rolling into 10th grade, I think that that is definitely a nonverbal assault or attack. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Well, because this is a side story, but my daughter was really into World War II and had heard and read and researched and done all this stuff and said at age like seven or something was like, hey, daddy, can you print me out a picture of Hitler? I want to put him on my wall. And both of us like, what? (laughs) Like, you cannot do that. But we had to, you know, do the neutral face and ask why. And she said, well, because... I really like enjoy history and I want to learn more. And we explain why that might be not such a great choice of wall decor, especially in a kid's room or just in general. She said, okay, what about if I put a big red circle with an X through it so that people know I don't like him, I just like history. And it was interesting having to explain to her, like she quickly got it when we were like, that's not actually okay either because <laughs> we just don't need to acknowledge like or celebrate that person in any way, shape or form, but it would have had the potential to insult, I mean, everybody, especially any Jewish friends who came over. And yet from her sort of innocent lens, it took her a while to put that together until we explained it to her. So, okay, that's interesting that that would have been a micro assault had we not nipped it in the bud. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great example. So 
from there, there is something called a micro insult, and that's insensitive communication. So that's verbal. That demeans someone's racial identity, signaling to people of color that their contributions are unimportant. So an example of this would be a teacher who corrects the grammar of only Hispanic children, which is a very obvious singling out, right, based on race. So then the third type is a micro-invalidation, which involves negating or ignoring the psychological thoughts, feelings, or experiential reality of a person of color. So an example here is an Asian-American student from the U.S. is asked where she was born, which conveys the message that she is not really an American. Oh my gosh, how often do... <laughs> like? So the YouTube video, if you Google what kind of Asian are you on YouTube, it is a brilliant piece. I would recommend everybody go and do that because it has a guy coming up. What kind of Asian are you? Or like, where are you from? Right? It starts with where are you from? Yeah. And it's like, California, no, 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 where are your people from? And it's like, well, is that any different than anybody who's not a Native American in this country, basically, whose family has, yeah. by definition, <laughs> come to this country as some form of immigrant or another? So over the years, this concept has been extended beyond race to include similar events and experiences of other marginalized groups. So that includes women, LGBTQ people, people with disabilities, etc. Have you ever personally experienced or witnessed even any of those types of microaggressions before or heard about them? Yes, I would say that there's been a lot around Asianness and similar to the, you know, where are you from? Although it's a little bit harder because people assume a whole lot of things if you're biracial, I would say. I think my husband has experienced some in particular. I mean, the list is very long, but I think being told that he speaks so well when he gave a speech at a wedding was pretty interesting because basically a whole bunch of white people came up and told him that he spoke so well, I think, because he wasn't using Ebonics. And he is a Harvard Law School educated guy. Yeah. I think they were like, oh, wow, you strung like actual sentences together. Good for you. And, you know, it's become sort of a joke between us. But I think at the time that was definitely a microaggression. But yeah. And what he termed that a microaggression? Is it just straight up aggressive? Like, I mean, I guess I don't I don't think it was like straight up aggressive. Sorry, I just totally cut you off. I think, you know, it's like the weird backhanded compliment, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Or people think they mean well, but there's clearly some bias there that, you know, why else would you say it if you weren't expecting him to speak in complete sentences? So I think there's that. Right. And um, I think I shared before my thing of like, oh, like after having kids, oh, you look good for a mom. And you're like, yeah. Mm, I mean, it was probably said without that tone and inflection. <laughs> you look good for a mom. Like, is the sincere thing? And I'm like, no, I think I just look good. Like, I'm strong. I'm good. It doesn't have to be with an asterisk. I guess is that sort of where it is, right? It's like that asterisk, that backhanded compliment that there's that type of microaggression. But I remember reading a story, a really well-written essay by a black woman who was admitted to Harvard and was in her small town. And I couldn't find it when I researched it again. But She was in a small store buying school supplies, getting ready to go to Harvard and was in a line with a bunch of other white kids. And the counter guy behind the counter was like, oh, where are you going? And the kid in front of her was going to a different Ivy League school. And oh, huge. Congratulations. That's great. And then the guy behind the counter asked her, where are you going? Harvard. And then he looked at her and was like, Howard? 
Like, mm. what assumption, right? Like, the assumption was not. And she had to clarify it not once, but twice, I think. And it took a while for it to sink in to this guy that, no, your assumptions, <laughs> man. Like, check yourself, right? So yeah. I wish I could have found that. That was a really powerful yeah, piece for me would, when I read yeah. it a while ago. Yeah. But I feel like, imagine dealing with those kind of comments all the time, right? It's like, they seem small, say for this woman who got into Harvard, but was like, you know, misinterpreted as Howard several times, right? They seem like they're small and innocent offenses, but like, I would imagine they can take a real psychological toll on the mental health of the person who is on the receiving end. I mean, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. And if you're constantly being told effectively, you're not good enough, you know, there's no way like, and you're being demeaned, you're being ignored, you're being put down, that can lead to lower work productivity, lower problem solving abilities, anger and depression. And there's a very clear link between depression and suicide. And a study from 2014 actually showed the link between microaggression, instigated depression, and suicide. So these are very real, physical, like psychological leading into physical repercussions of being on the receiving end of microaggressions day in and day out, when people who are walking through this world with darker skin, basically, are treated a certain way based on the assumptions of people, you know, in the society around them. Yeah, I think it's not just even dealing with that assault regularly, but just not knowing where the next one is coming from and having to outthink that. And sort of, it's like, you can see the crash coming, you're just kind of bracing for that impact. I mean, right? you think about like the low level cortisol and like hold that feeling of holding your breath all the time feeling defensive. Yeah, Ugh. would suck. And I think it then if somebody is showing up in a situation feeling defensive, or like they can't be honest, because they can't talk about it, then I feel like then you show up as defensive. And then it kind of perpetuates this cycle of the stereotypes and the implicit bias because people aren't being open. Because I think what often happens is if people of color talk about microaggressions, a common comeback is that they're like oversensitive, right? You're being too sensitive. That's not really what I meant. Like it gets dismissed. No, you're making that up. Oh, you're playing the black card again. I mean, I feel like friends have said that's their comeback. So then they can't even have a conversation around why they feel stressed or why they felt insulted because it's not received in an open manner. Yeah. And I totally agree. And I have heard that and had the similar experiences. And I think that, you know, it, it's sort of a backlash because up until fairly recently, overt racism wasn't as out there as it is now. And we'll definitely be discussing that later too. So it was really the implicit biases that were the undercurrent. And it's really easy to sort of brush those aside as, you know, you're being too sensitive or, you know, this is just PC to the extreme, especially if you're not the recipient of those implicit biases. Certainly would be easier to be like, no, we're in a post-racial world. None of us have these biases anymore. But the reality is they're still steeped in, as we've mentioned, just like years and years and years of systemic. It's how our country is raised. We all have those biases and it's just, we can make a difference one be more aware of our conversations and the words that come out of our mouths. Yeah. And I think not to be as quick to brush someone off as being sensitive, because that is their experience. And I think when we, you know, call someone overly sensitive, we invalidate their experience. And it continues to further along this undercurrent. Well, and, and 
I'm totally see. It's like the interrupting I know. episode. We have so many things to say, <laughs> I think. But when you just said that oversensitive thing, it really reminded me of what I faced in finance. You know, as a woman, and I was told I was overly sensitive to stuff. Like, imagine if I felt the sexual harassment that I had to put up with, and I stood my ground. And if I was just told you're being too sensitive, you're being too sensitive, I would have felt smaller and smaller and smaller. And I still was told I was too sensitive because then I let my emotions show, right? And that's a whole other conversation about, I think, about like letting emotions come into these kind of conversations because then you would feed into the black stereotype of this, you know, like, isn't that another, like, black women as a stereo, this is totally off what we were going to talk about, but is there that stereotype for black women being so emotional and so in all the whole range? They're just this stereotype of being bigger than life. And I don't know, that oversensitivity thing really bothers me as a woman. And I can't imagine being told that we would be too much. That would suck is basically my point. Yeah, because it makes you feel like you're the crazy person when these are happening to you. And the response is sort of calculated to make you feel small and crazy. You know, like there was that book, The Black O, which was the whole story of Shoney's that is like a chain in the South, which growing up in LA, I didn't know about, but in a more overt form of discrimination and racism, when a black applicant came in, the interviewer would color in the O on the Shoney's application with a black pen to indicate that that person was black and they would not be granted another interview. And it was the way that they discriminated against black people. And that was a class action lawsuit that was brought against Shoney's. So that's an overt form of discrimination. But, you know, we have heard and experienced how people with black sounding names, for example, get far few follow up job interviews than people with white sounding names. Yet, if you ask those employers, hey, what's going on with this discrimination, they deny it. So I think that that's just another example of people saying, oh, you're overly sensitive. Oh, racism isn't a thing anymore. That's not what's going on here. Right. And how often is it that people just aren't aware of what they're doing? Like you just said, they might be like, well, no, not that they're calculatedly being discriminatory, but they are just like, that can't be true. You know, sometimes employers may not notice that they're doing certain things, you know, they're referring to women versus men differently. We talked about like women being called by their first names, men by their last names, but I feel like that is why people who really want people to be aware of this idea of microaggression are asking us to pay attention to the ways in which race and gender and all of these assumptions we make affect what we say and do, because some of it may not be intentional. It's not that we're ill-intentioned or don't like people who look different or aren't in the majority, but I feel like the point is it's something that is in our subconscious and we cannot get over it unless we're aware of it. Yeah, I agree. And I think when you talk to social justice advocates and commentators about what is the most upsetting to them about microaggressions is not that that existed, but that people refuse to listen to the fact that it might be a microaggression and their insistence that like, oh, I didn't mean anything by that or, you know, I'm not racist or so therefore it couldn't be prejudicial. There was one piece essay by this former Oberlin student, Simba Runyoa, and he was discussing his experiences of microaggression. And he said that it wasn't that microaggressions made him so angry or that he thought that the people that were doing them were intentionally bad people. It's just that those people didn't realize that they had their own biases. 
Totally. It was an interesting article that we read in uh, Business Insider, and it was the article about top biases that we're likely to hear, 14 things people think are fine to say at work, but are actually racist, sexist, or offensive. And it's stuff like what you said, your husband had, you're so articulate, you speak so well. It had things like, oh, sorry, that's the wrong person. Or, you know, oh, you're gay, you should meet my friend Anne, she's gay too. Or where are you from? I mean, all these things that people seem to say. Another thing was, and this will lead to our next episode, but it was this idea of, you know, or why do you wear that? Or people touching hair, like doing certain things too. It actually also says a common microaggression is interrupting and saying, well, actually, I think so. I think we were microaggressing each other on this episode, but <laughs> maybe um, a little differently than intended. <laughs> I didn't mean to, I promise. <laughs> but I think that, you know, there's things that are happening that we just aren't aware of that slip out of our mouths. And it's not to say it has to be this onerous process of vetting everything that comes out of your mouth. It's just being more aware, especially in groups where, I don't know, where there's likely to be conversation. I guess, you know, it's so easy when you're in a majority to dismiss the stuff that are said. And I know groups of guys get together and be like, you're so gay. You know how I know you're gay? Like, I mean, there's, it's popularized. And I'm like, well, would you say that if your gay friend was there? Well, no, no, I wouldn't. And it's like, well, then why should you say that when they're not? Because I think the more we, you know, the whole neuroplasticity concept, the more we do and think in certain things, our neural pathways are grooved deeper and deeper. And so you're much more likely to repeat those things in situations that are inappropriate. And so it's a good idea to just have that level of discipline, no matter what crowd you're in, so that you're aware of it and you're not accidentally saying stuff that you might not otherwise think that might not be appropriate. Yeah, completely. And I think you're right. It doesn't have to be this onerous, you know, process where you're revamping everything you've thought about everything all at one time. I think our takeaways for this episode, there's a great video by that same psychologist, Gerald Sue, that we talked about at the start. And hopefully we can get that video linked somewhere. But he offered five suggestions for things individuals can do to really avoid microaggressions. And they're pretty concrete. So I think that's why we like them. One is, you know, be really thoughtful and vigilant of your own biases and fears. And that, you know, can come one at a time as you're conscious of a specific bias or a specific fear. And the second is seek out interaction with people who differ from you in terms of race, culture, ethnicity, and really anything, because that exposure and your ability to understand other people's experiences really start to challenge your own biases. Three is what we've talked about a lot. Don't be defensive. Four is being open to discussing your own attitudes and biases and how they might have hurt others or in some sense revealed bias on your part. And I think that's part of the uncomfortable conversations that we have with each other and that we really encourage that you have as a listener. And five, and, and you know, we're going to talk about this a lot in various ways, but really be an ally by standing personally against all forms of bias and discrimination. And I think it, it takes courage, especially if someone close to you says something that you don't agree with, or you believe is biased or discriminatory to stand up or, you know, hit pause for a second and say, hey, I don't think that's right. And I know you and I both, Sarah, have been in uncomfortable situations where we had to call people on certain things. Yeah, it's not easy. But I think if we don't do it, who else like who else can we cede that responsibility to? We each are responsible for creating the world we want to see around us. Yeah. And educating people. Uh, what we've learned, I think, is really important. Totally. 
Well, I'm excited. I think there's a bonus tip, right? There's so many, like I talked about that Business Insider article, but there's so many articles and examples of microaggressions that are out there in the news media and academic research, social media. But once you hear about how they affect people, chances are you'll be more aware of what they look like and much less likely to repeat them. So if you could even just look at a list of some of them and see if you even use one of those phrases and remove that from your vocabulary, I think that's a great step. Totally, totally. Start small. Absolutely. All right, cool. Let's keep on keeping on. Yep. Can't wait for our next chat. <laughs>